I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 70. It's a, it's a landmark. I don't know. <laughs> it's You know, it's uh, co-host Josh Long is here. Josh, how you doing? Hey, I'm good. I'm happy to be here for episode 70. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, with uh, with Battleship Pretension... We ch- you know, we do an episode every week, and if and if we miss a week, we try to make it make it up. So, you know, we just recorded episode 291. So that means wow. we've been doing this for 291 weeks. So that's that's pretty exciting, and, it, like, and it lets you know like that's a long time to be doing that show. That's like fifteen years. Yeah, roughly. Uh, I think it's like clo- a little closer to like thirteen. I'm not so good with my maths. No, it's. I mean, you are you know homeschooled. Yeah, we so. don't do those. Right. Like, what do I need maths for? Yeah, I I'm mean, not- you're just going to be down on the farm milking cows all day. Exactly. I don't need to teach evolution. <laughs> so. um Anybody that was homeschooled, we're not making fun of you. Josh was also homeschooled. I'm, I'm kidding. only making fun of him. I was actually homeschooled, and 291 weeks comes out to roughly six years? Uh, about five and a half. It's 52 so. weeks in a year, so 50, 50, 50. Yeah. 50, 50, 50. Would make 300. So it's less than, it's less than that. Yeah, it is about nine less. <laughs> Moving on. So, um, but yeah, and so uh, while I, every you know for episode sixty and episode and now episode seventy, it's like oh boy seventy. It doesn't mean anything. I don't know what it means. Oh, I think it does. Okay, because when we get this to episode seventy five, that's a that's a twenty five episode benchmark. That means we have to do something special, like I don't know, review. Something different, something that's not a movie. Okay, like review a, a restaurant. Review our life choices. How about that? I don't want to do that. I kind of do that every time we talk. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, uh, but nonetheless, seventy episodes, very exciting. Thank you everybody for um, sticking with us for that long, and thank you to everybody who submitted us for a podcast award. Um, the nominations are now closed. I don't know, or the the submission process is now uh, over and closed, and I don't know when. The nominations will be released probably in two or three weeks. Uh, when that happens, uh, if we're nominated, we'll let you know. Um, I don't think we will be because I haven't actually been pushing it that hard this year. Like last really? year and the year before that, I was like, hey, okay. I, like every other day, I was you saying, were like, get out the vote. Get out the vote. And this time around, she's like, okay, what? I, I, we're not going to win. So it really doesn't matter. Hey, we could. I don't think we're going to. Don't don't keep your head in the sand, Charlie Brown. Is that uh, I, I mix metaphors a little bit? Okay, yeah. Because I don't except think... for the Russian Charlie Brown, where Charlie Brown is an ostrich. Oh, okay, yeah. It's, it's much different over there. What a country! Yeah. That's all I have to say. So anyway, uh, so as I mentioned, our friend 
Well, Josh is here. My friend and yours. Yeah. And uh, wanted to let everybody know that episode two of his web series, The Unemployed Mind, has now been released. It was released a week ago. It's available right now. You could be watching it right now. What are you doing That's, listening to this? Yeah. Maybe pick a side. I'm sorry. I, I meant to cross-promote. Uh as soon as you're done with this, that's what you can do next. There you go. Or you know what? Pause this, go watch that, and then come on back. It'll only be about 10 minutes. Right. You'll still be wherever it is you are if you're in a place where you can do both things. I guess you could be in your car listening to it. If you're in your car, don't watch it on your phone or something like that. Right. You, you could, could get in you, an could, you could crash, and I don't want to be responsible for that. Also, I'm concerned about your personal safety, but mainly I don't want to be held responsible. Look... The unemployed mine is going to be responsible for a lot of car crashes. Most of them will be intentional. Uh, due It'll to laughter. Like, exi- sure. You'll watch an episode and you'll be like, that's so funny. What, what else would be funny? Crashing my car. Yeah. Or they're just like, that's, this is the most fun I've ever had. My life has peaked. There's, there's nowhere else to go yeah. but car crash. <laughs> nowhere else to go but right into that wall. Yeah. Um, but you, boy, will you be happy when you do that. So all we're saying is... Watch The Unemployed Mind. Yeah, and you can go to theunemployedmind.com, or you can, uh, I'll link to uh, the episode within the, the the blog post for this episode of the podcast. So, anyway. Um, uh, to give you a little bit of a teaser, the episode involves uh, what would happen if our heroes go to some auditions. Auditions, absolutely. Yeah, so if you're an, if you're an actor out there, if you know any actors or have ever seen an actor in a movie or in real life, you might have something to connect to this, something personal. So I'm sorry, if you're Amish and you've and the one thing you'll allow yourself is podcasts, I'm sorry, you're out of luck. If if yeah, if this is your guilty Amish pleasure <laughs> then sorry. But here's what I'm gonna suggest. Okay. Add another guilty pleasure. Absolutely. We'll talk more about that kind of thing later. So, um, okay. Uh, so I want to very briefly uh, address this. Um, and this was far from being a, uh, you know, an overwhelming response. It was really just one person. But um, so in the last episode, we talked about um, The Cabin in the Woods, which is a, a horror movie, uh, ostensibly. And then this week, we're also talking about a horror movie. This is in the spirit of Halloween. Um and there are some Christians that think that uh, horror movies are not edifying, that maybe there's one or two that, uh, that we can, uh, quote-unquote, get something out of, but the rest really are just trash, they serve no purpose, and, and all that sort of thing. Um, so I don't want to go into any detail about my response, because we already did uh, last year. Uh, I think it's episode, f- I want to say 48, uh, in which we talked about horror movies and the the ones that we like, but also just the general value of that genre. Um, so I will link to it in, in this episode, but you can also just go back and, and, uh, and listen to that. Um, because I do think, I do think it is ill-advised from an artistic standpoint to disregard any genre, um, of, of film. Um, because, you never know where the truth, with a capital T, can can reveal itself. Um, you know, if you are disturbed by violence, then sure, yes, that's that's perfectly fine. But uh, but to say that no Christian could ever get anything out of it, and thus they shouldn't watch it, that's uh, 
Mm, I think maybe a little limiting, and I would venture to say maybe not your place to say it. Yeah, I would agree with that, and that's that's sort of what we talked about in the other episode, and so that's why we'd like to point people to that right. episode if you're if you uh, had some thoughts about that. Uh, we could talk about it again, but I think we'd cover a lot of the same ground. Having yeah. been in, uh, it was about a year ago that we did that one, and having not recent, having not listened to it recently, I'm pretty sure we would say a lot of the same things. Yeah, um, I, I think we we sum it up uh, pretty pretty well in that episode. So go and listen to that. Um, whether you uh, like horror movies or or not, um, I think it's it's worth exploring um, because I was I was of that opinion myself that. Not that not that they couldn't be edifying, but I just thought, from an artistic standpoint, that there was really nothing to horror movies. That they were just gore, that they were just exploitation, um, and that you could get nothing out of it spiritually or artistically. Uh, I have since, and while most of them are could be can be exploitative and um, and that sort of thing, uh, there are, as is the case with anything, there are some good ones and ones that I think everybody should absolutely see. So uh, go and listen to that episode. I'll link to it. There you go. All right. So moving on, this week's episode is about is about uh, a movie called The Mist, which came out in 2007. It was written and directed by Frank Darabont, who you might know as the director of uh, The Shawshank Redemption and The Green Mile and The Majestic, which is a movie I don't care for. And he also helped create the show The Walking Dead, and he directed the pilot. Uh, I do not like that series, but I love that pilot. I think it's incredibly well done. The pilot was pretty good, yeah. I, I have heard people talking about it recently, and since I only saw the first season, I don't really know whether the second season got any better. Have you watched much of it? I, I've not watched any of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've been keeping keeping up a little bit with people saying like, oh, this season is better than last season. But then I look at, I would look at like reviews and people would say, oh, well, it, much like the first season, like episode to episode. Like, yeah. oh, this episode was terrible, but this episode was great. It's just like, yeah. you know, there are so many shows out there that I haven't seen. I don't yeah. know if I want to spend the time with this one. I'd still be curious to see it. But yeah, like you say, it takes time to, it really is an investment to be watching a TV show that much. And if it's, if it might be as spotty as the first season was, which there were moments that were great, you know, great yeah. intensity and were really, really exciting. And then there were moments that were, there were moments that were laughably silly for me. So, the, and I mean, there were entire episodes that were just, just awful. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, uh, might serve as a microcosm of the horror genre. <laughs> Yeah, I'd say so. But you know what? The weird thing is, like, the stuff that I didn't like about uh, Walking Dead, it it usually was not because I thought it was ex- uh, exploitative. It was because I thought they were trying too hard to make this, like, a meaningful thing. And they and yeah. it just became really obvious. And, and uh, no thank you. It, it, some of it was uh, one of those things where you, you can... Like you like to say, sometimes you can see the strings in that uh, they almost tell us that a character is going to die by suddenly almost forcing us to try and invest in this character. Yeah. Um, which is uh, uh, which is a technique that I might bring up later in this episode. Yeah, and also, and if you're a fan of reality shows, uh, I remember this was mentioned years ago on Battleship Pretension when comedian Bill Dwyer was on and he had been on Last Comic Standing and he said that if you were to watch the episode in which he got eliminated, 
He said you can always tell who's about who's probably going to be eliminated that episode, whether it be Survivor, The Amazing Race, because they get a surprising amount of screen time that episode. <laughs> and uh, and in the same way, yeah, um, if a character is about to die, it's just like, huh. We sure are spending a lot of time with this guy or, or girl. It's I like, wonder what... Oh, got it. All right. Well, we didn't know anything about you before, and now we've listened to you talk about your father and, and your relationship with him for like 20 minutes. Yeah. I really... It's like it's almost as though I really care about you. Oh, I see. You, you, they wanted this death to have some weight. Keyword being almost. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know what? I'll say this. Just look at the first episode as its own little movie. Watch it and love it because I think that's one of the best pilots I've ever seen. And there is a section that takes place in a. It, we'll move on to to the mist, but I do want to speak about Frank Darabont as as a director a little bit, and and because he can be incredibly ham fisted, and the and the mist is is no exception to that. Um, but every once in a while, he has an instinct that is dead on. And there is a sequence in the pilot where the main character, you know, it's it's a post-apocalyptic movie in which there's zombies all over the place. And, uh, and there's a scene where a character is in a hospital and he enters a stairwell that's pitch black. And he has to walk down basically like two flights of stairs, pitch black. And as he walks down slowly, he'll light a match so that he can kind of see where he's going. And then he just keeps going, and then the match goes out, so he'll take a, another few moments, he'll light another match, and every time he lights a match, you expect the match to reveal a zombie right there. <laughs> and the reason you expect that is because horror movies have conditioned us to expect that. And incidentally, he makes it out okay. There were no zombies in the stairwell, and yet you still spent about a minute, maybe a minute and a half, where one could say, well, why did we spend that much time? Nothing happened. It's like, because <laughs> something could happen. Because you spent, because you were just as on edge in that moment as, like, if something had happened, then that's actually a release of the tension. That's a payoff. Whereas this, it kind of treats you, I don't know, it, it kind of examines your expectation for horror. And if you're on the edge of your seat and you don't know what's going to happen, isn't that enough? Like, yeah. And it, and it kind of subverts this your expectations, saying, like, you really never know what's going to happen. Yeah. And, of course, the the rest of the show could not at all live up to that kind of idea. <laughs> but um, but that's just one example of some great stuff in that pilot. So seek it out. I believe the first season, maybe even the second season at this point, is on Netflix. Watch Instant. Yeah, so, I think so. So seek it out. It is That pilot is worth your time. Now, uh, The Mist. I have not seen it in a while. Josh has seen it more recently than I have. Uh, I have. We do sort of disagree on on it. Um, the The basic story, and it is quite basic, um, and it's and it's a pretty standard idea for a horror movie as well. It's a small town. It's based on a on a story by Stephen King, and it does have that flavor to it. Yeah, a, a story by Stephen King entitled "Le Mist." Is that actually? No. I didn't think so. Um, it was when he was uh, just kind of playing around with, uh, you know, his, his uh, Richard Bachman foreign fiction. So, um, but yeah, the, uh, it's a small town, and our main character uh, named David, played by Thomas Jane, who you might know from Boogie Nights or The Punisher or Arrested Development, where he plays himself, Tom Jane. Um 
he uh, it's just him and his his family, and one day they're going to just the local supermarket, and something is wrong. Like this weird one could say mist, kind of a fog, mm-hmm. but the fog is a different movie. Comes rolling in, and it's very strange. Uh, now it's been a while since I've seen it, so I don't know exactly how the plot unfolds. But people are holed up in the supermarket and then the tension of not knowing what's out there in the mist, but knowing that it's dangerous, that kind of takes, that takes hold of them. And, and some people, one could say, go a little crazy. Some people, uh, have doubt about what's happening out there and they act on that doubt only to find out that actually there is stuff out there and it's been, it's very, uh, I was about to say very bad for you. It's not a food. (laughs) They will kill you is what I meant to say. Uh, and it's mist will give you cancer. That's what the story is about. Don't breathe it in. And so, um, so yeah, it's basically just, there's all these creatures because, uh, like, like, uh, spoilers. Yeah. Sorry. I get, yeah, we're going to (laughs) speak in spoilers in this episode. So, uh, if you haven't seen the mist, uh, seek it out and then come back to us. See, you know what? Go watch The Mist, take a little detour, watch The Unemployed Mind, episode two, hey, and then come on back. Come on to back us. to us. We'll be waiting for you. So, um, so there are these creatures in The Mist, uh, and they are from sort of another dimension. One could say they're sort of from hell. They're like demons. They're, they're otherworldly, but they are certainly not spiritual. They are very physical creatures that pose a very serious threat. Yeah. They'll so, cut you in half or uh, sting you so you die. Yeah. Or bite you so you die. Yeah. Or maybe their blood's acid. A lot of bad things can happen with creatures. Look, the common denominator is you're going to die. It's just all bad. And that's what happens when you open up a portal to another dimension, which is what I learned from the mist. Well, that is the big point. Which means now I have no weekend project. (laughs) Uh, So there were, so there was a couple things and that's, that's the basic story is, is the, and it's and again, I mean, we mentioned The Walking Dead, mm. a very common theme in horror movies and zombie movies specifically. In the companion film uh, this week is going to be George Romero's Night of the Living Dead. A very standard uh, trope of horror movies is the idea that there are monsters out there, mm-hmm. but that another threat is one another. Yeah, that um, that even when we're safe from the obvious threat mm-hmm. there's still one another to deal with because as Sartre would say hell is other people mm. I don't know did if it's really going that I feel like he did it's I think that was it. Albert Einstein <laughs> that's true yeah I think I think it was Albert Einstein yeah I remember seeing that like at a like in college like at a friend's dorm I saw like that that photo of him with his tongue sticking out and it said yeah. hell is other people <laughs> I think right so. underneath yeah so um he yeah put, I think I think that was he put it over stuff. a mirror <laughs> so but yeah that that and that's also a common theme I think in Stephen King's books uh I if there are any big Stephen King fans out there, feel free to correct me because I actually have not read any of his books um my wife is a uh, is a fan and has told me a little bit about them and sort of his his style and writing and um uh one of the things that she likes about him a lot is that he 
a lot of his books are more about how people respond to situations than they are about the uh, the external circumstance. So a lot of this book is about how do these people react and and, and about uh, personalities being revealed in a in a time of of. Uh, What's the word I'm thinking for? Turmoil. I want to say stress. trial. Turmoil is a good one. Tribulation. I think that's what I want. No, I don't like that one. Yeah, any of those will work. Too many religious connotations in tribulation. Fair enough. Yes, tribulation force. <laughs> that's an, that's a book in the Left Behind series. Keep your head out of the clouds, Tyler. Sorry, uh, but yeah, and and by the way, like I I say it's a standard trope, and and I don't want people to get the wrong impression when I say that. As if I'm saying it derisively. Uh, I like that trope. It's yeah, one yeah. of the reasons I like zombie movies, even though the idea of zombies is uh, terrifying to me. Um, and why I will not be going to Halloween Horror Nights uh, this <laughs> year, because there's a Walking Dead thing. It's like, oh, great. I can live my nightmares. And just when I make it through the Walking Dead thing, hey, there's a Texas Chainsaw Massacre thing, which is also an, uh, terrifying to me, so I'm not going this year. Mm. But uh, but anyway, um, you know, one of the reasons that I like it... I. I as we've as we've talked about before, last year, in fact, um, one of the great things about horror is that it can is it uses these extreme images to explore one could say rather basic things, yeah, things that a drama film could you know a dramatic film could easily explore, like yeah. the way when the chips are down, how that reveals our true nature, mm-hmm. um, and so. It, you know, it, but in this case, the chips being down means uh, the dead have come back to life, or uh, monsters from another dimension are flying around outside. You know, like yeah. uh, I love that because there's a potential to like really reveal character and and uh, for the actors to really latch on to something. And so, um, and yeah, I think I think there is a lot of that in uh, Stephen King. I remember one of the only books of his that I've read. I've only read probably three. Is uh, Cujo mm. now. It's just a, a mother and, and her son stuck in a car, so the two of them don't fight, but it does turn into more just a psychological horror of this woman stuck in a car mm-hmm. because there is a rabid St. Bernard outside that's going to kill her. Um, and just her, you know, it's, it's really no different than, say, like 127 hours. It's just a tale of survival, and how do we make this work? I thought you were going to say 101 Dalmatians. I was going to say, <laughs> maybe it's been a while since I've seen that movie. That movie's terrifying. <laughs> Um, There's a hundred one of them. <laughs> Every single one of them, rabid and giant. Man, but um, I'm not getting out of that car. <laughs> but uh, but you're stuck with Cruella Deville, and oh, she's such oh, a diva. No. So um, so yeah, it's it's something that I like, and maybe that's one of the reasons why I'm I, I, I was predisposed to like the mist mm-hmm. um and again i haven't seen it in a while and i remember a lot of things that i do like there are some things that i don't like like i said it's very ham-fisted in that frank darabont the uh, the majestic uh way did you ever see the majestic i did with Jim yeah. Carrey? i did not like that movie i thought it was incredibly not merely melodramatic but it was just saccharine it was just so yeah. i feel sappy. like I've, i don't remember too much about that movie it's been a while since i've seen it but uh i think i do remember feeling like i wanted it to be I wanted it to be sort of nostalgic a little bit and mm-hmm. talking about the movies and things like that. And, and I, I do remember it being more just melodramatic and I mean, he not clear- so interesting. Frank Darabont clearly has a respect for um, film Cinema, history. yeah. And, he, and with The Majestic, obviously, he was trying to channel Frank Capra. 
Yeah, I can see that. It just has that, you know, this small town quality and everybody coming together around mm-hmm. this this movie theater and like it's it, it's very obvious that's what he wanted. But, Gary uh, Cooper was in it. Yeah, playing Jim Carrey. I know he was good. Um it's the best performance of it. I'm not <laughs> Quick side note. Are you a fan of Gary Cooper? Uh He's not one. He, I don't think of him as a great actor. I think of him as one that fit a certain type very well. He benefits from from good casting because yeah. I think he was very good in High Noon. Yeah, I think he's good in High Noon. I like him in. I don't love the film, but I like him in. Uh, is it Meet John Doe? Am I thinking of the right one? I think that's him. Yes. Yeah, because he has he has a good way. I think of being. Uh, kind of a strong type but also seeming a little bit like an everyman and like mm-hmm. uh, he seems like he can be relatable even though he has a little bit of an imposing appearance because it was a big guy yeah or at least i think he was a big guy he was made to look so on film i think yeah. when you see him next to other actors you're like oh yeah probably average height i'd say i think he was like 610 he's six oh my gosh yeah. uh yeah there was a movie called design for living which is a pretty good movie oh yeah um but he is the the we, the weak link in that cast. Mm-hmm. Um, well, see, in something like because that's a Noel Coward play, right? It is. So although that, they retained a single line from the play. Oh, really? But it's still about like kind of these these uh, Bohemian New York people, but, and that is not him. Yeah, if it's about like quick witted people, it's yeah. kind of like well, that's not really that's not really where he where he benefits best. Like he yeah. he's like your your small town man. He's like yeah. your, your Sergeant York. Yeah. High noon, he it works well. Yeah. Okay, that sorry, that has nothing to do no, with not, anything. Nothing at all. Um so sorry everybody. Uh that's that's a that's an old that's an old fashioned BP uh tangent. All cuz I made a Gary Cooper joke. Yeah. Based on Frank Okay, anyway. Um But you know what? You know who would appreciate a conversation like that? Frank Darabont, because he loves film. I bet he would. So, hey, Frank. Um, I hope you're listening. Sorry I didn't like The Mist. We'll get to that. That's all right. I liked it, buddy. Don't you worry. Um, and good job on that pilot for Walking Dead. Oh, we can agree on that. So, um, but yeah, and, and in a way, uh, The Mist, unfortunately, a lot of the things that I heard about it uh, and about what Frank Darabont wanted to do with it did not, it didn't actually come to fruition. Like, he wanted it to seem like an old-time horror movie where you see m- much more of the characters than you do the monsters um, in the same way that, you know, the shark in Jaws doesn't show up for a while. And mm-hmm. and he wanted it to be, you know, kind of a chamber piece. And, and I think – and I, I heard that he wanted to shoot it in black and white so it had an old-time feel to it. And so I respect what he was, what he was trying to do with it. Um, and the characters are kind of archetypes as well um which is which in to me is fine um and i think the actors all do a a pretty good job with it but of course it is it is very overblown it is um i mean there's a word for it but it's just it's very there's a melodrama to the film and and Mm -hmm. that doesn't bother me but at the same time i haven't seen it in a while and the things that i didn't like about it because i didn't love it at the time Mm -hmm. uh, the things i didn't like about it have sort of faded whereas the things that i did like about it have uh, grown in my mm-hmm. mind uh, so real quick I'll say what I like about it and um, and you can say the things that you didn't like about it or maybe you know what we'll go with we'll go with you first uh, because there are a couple of uh, overlapping things that we liked yeah um, so we'll, we'll start with you because you've seen it more recently what what are some yeah. of the things that you 
let's go first that you did not care for with the mist josh long take us away uh okay um <laughs> i feel like there was a lot josh of, long there's a lot of build up there and now i feel like i have to like I should just jump in like loud, like Gene Shallot all of a sudden, like <sighs> terrible. You should absolutely shave your uh, shave your beard, leave the mustache, and really do something with frizz out your if hair. If I can do that to get my hair to look like Gene Shallot, in a pair of thick glasses. Oh man, people would respect me so much then. Incidentally, real quick, if you're not following fake, fake Shallot, oh fake Shallot, I think it's just it fake Shallot on fake Twitter. Uh, correct that mistake right now. You will be so happy it's that pretty, you did. It's pretty hilarious. Um, anyway, um, I there were several things I did not like about the film. Uh, overall, I I did not like it. Um, I might go f- so far as to say that I I thought it was a bad film. Um, uh, <laughs> it's funny because I can respect the idea that he wanted to make it more about the the characters and less about the monsters, but. I don't, I don't feel like that's what happens in the film. And that's one thing that I think is a problem with a lot of f- films based on Stephen King novels. Um, again, not that I've read a lot of his his uh, work, but from what I understand, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, a lot of them are less about whatever the external circumstances are, less about the creatures, less about the the, the scary thing, whatever it may be, and more about these psychological situations and uh, conflicts between people and sort of this uh, there seems to be a through line of this kind of overhanging overarching sense of dread uh, as if everything is just not right and I feel like a lot of the films based on his work are, are not trying to touch that as much as they're trying to be like look here's some scary monsters um, and I did feel like that was the case with this one. I feel like it tries to get some into the into the psychological things and the in the differences between people, and it's an interesting concept and one of the reasons that we want to talk about the film because of the issues that it brings up. But I don't feel like it is well executed in that, and I feel like uh, you know, not long into the movie, we get gigantic. Uh, computer-generated sci-fi channel-looking tentacles that drag someone away, and you're like, all right, all right that's, that's fine. Um, and it seems as if the film just doesn't know that's a less-is-more moment. It goes on far too long for it to be scary. It stops being scary or even eerie and becomes like a, a spectacle and a weak spectacle because it, I mean, it looks fake. Like, we're, we're kind of getting to... I feel like we're reaching a critical mass with CG stuff where you can't scare people so much with that anymore because it, it looks like a cartoon or it looks like a video game or something. You can do amazing things with CG and, you know, and, and there are movies that... I don't know how, but they manage to still dazzle me yeah. with it. But by and large, I think... Like you said, less is more. And I think when because now that we all know what CG can do, I think we just don't have... I mean, if you just if you shot some, that's one of the things that I like about Prometheus, and I'm not even a big fan of that movie. Is yeah. like practical sets. Yeah, it's not the Star Wars trilogy where it's just every everything's on green screen and mm-hmm. they build it in the computer and it looks way too crisp, way too clean. Yeah. Like it's it's a practical set at this point. Like we've come around the you know we've we've totally uh, made a you know like a little loop where now we have a much much uh, 
bigger appreciation for practical things. And yeah. so, yeah, if they had had, you know, uh, a sort of practical tentacle, I'm sure that I'm sure there's uh, some good um, practical effects that you could have used for that. And yeah. even if they weren't that great, like, I mean, you think of the f- the first scene of Jaws. Mm-hmm. Or really any scene where you just you see the power of the shark yeah. and you see how without ever seeing the shark you only see the effect the shark is having mm-hmm. on the victim and that's enough yeah. if you want to see okay hey here's here's the tentacle real quick but more important is the screaming victim like right. that's I think one would have been much more effective if maybe maybe you don't even see the tentacle or see like a little bit of it and you see the guy getting pulled in then it's much more mysterious and you're like what is this yeah whereas. Um, with what happens in the movie, what you're thinking is, oh, the threat is a giant computer-generated tentacle. Mm-hmm. Sure, it's bad, but, like, I'm not... That doesn't affect me so much. Also, uh, in that scene in particular, and I <laughs> I can't... This is the scene that... Uh, oh, yeah. They're trying to find... I believe they're trying to find a way out of the store, and so they... Um, There's the power shuts down. There's something wrong with the generator in the back, so they're sending someone out through the back of the store to try and like get the generator working again. Right. So the, the like the gar- like the back garage door has yeah. to like lift up ever so slightly so yeah. that someone can get out uh, that way, and then that's where the tentacle comes. As in. soon as it opens up, the tentacle comes in and, and grabs this kid. But and again, I was about to say I don't want to dissect every single scene because right. that's a waste of time. But. Um, this is a moment where I, I think the film does a bad job of getting us interested in its characters because it makes the three of them who, uh, basically the three of them who are not the hero character, uh, are complete idiots. Like, first of all, seeming to have no sense of logic because they've all just seen someone come screaming in from the mist and then someone else go out and, like, die. And then they're like, well, let's just go out in the back mist. That's probably safe. And then when our hero, of course, the the one sane person is like, no, we shouldn't do that, they all, like, they make fun of him and they yell at him and they almost get into kind of a fight. And it's like, what? why are these people so so dumb and so like mean about it i can't think of a better word but they're it's like they're just kind of (laughs) jerks kind of and that's the thing is like the movie just sets them up as like okay these guys are jerks and it kind of tries to say like maybe there's a maybe there's a class difference because the one guy's poorer and he's a uh but our you know the main character is a little bit better off and maybe that's the thrust of that scene in the book but in the movie it just comes off as like a here's a conflict that we have to have between these two characters so that this thing can happen. Let's set it up and then just, and then just, you know, and just do it. It's like, it's like a lot of the movie feels like a series of, of, uh, it's like T-ball, you know, they just set the ball out. They're like, all right, okay, here now, this is the thing that you hit. Now we hit it and let's do another one. Mm -hmm. It's all, why, why are we doing this? Yeah, it's an unfortunate uh, it's an unfortunate trope. I was talking earlier about tropes that I do like. Uh, one of the unfortunate things is the idea of like, and you can find this in action movies, and it's it's a pretty standard thing for um, film in general. Uh, like the lone guy that people don't believe, and that can work. Yeah, you know, I, we mentioned Jaws earlier. That's yeah. fine. It's one guy facing off against uh, the town, and and. Or, or another one that's great is uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, yeah. That's another one that I... You're next, Josh. That's what I say. Oh, no. Um, but uh, you know who says that? 
Yes. Who's that? I can't remember his name. Kevin McCarthy. McCarthy. I know McCarthy, but you I know can't what remember he was his in. first name. Uh, UHF, I think. Yes. Do you know what else he was in? A movie called Wesley, starring one Josh Long. Wait a minute. Are you sure? Yeah. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Who's he? Who is he in that movie? I don't know. I didn't see it. I didn't act with I him. I just happen to know that. That's interesting. Yeah. Man, you got to go with the program here, buddy. My good buddy, Kevin McCarthy. <laughs> we worked together once. It's yeah. no big deal. <laughs> I mean, we still keep in touch, you know. But um, <laughs> Through the grave. <laughs> Did he die? Yeah, he died. I remember specifically that he died because, and this is, this is <laughs> kind of, of terrible, but at the Oscars, they were... Uh, they were doing the That's thing right. where they yes. show all the pictures of all the people who've died. And it is a very, it's always kind of a very touching and sad moment. But one of the last ones was Kevin McCarthy. And right after that happened, Patton Oswalt, who was live tweeting the Oscars, tweeted, the last picture of Kevin McCarthy sh- it should have ended with him shouting, you're next. That kind of would have been, I know it's a joke. That would have been great. <laughs> the The idea makes me laugh every time I think of oh, it. Oh, yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and so it can be done effectively. The idea that that there's one guy, one you know, the lone voice of reason. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, I was listening to Never Not Funny, and uh, I know Paul F. Tompkins and Matt Belknap. Tompkins was the guest, and Belknap is the co-host. And uh, there, t- and Matt Belknap used to be a script reader, and so and he would do it all. He would just read through everything, and just said that that's one of his least favorite things is the idea of people being like hey well wait a second i don't you know why are we listening to this guy you know just it's it's always like a city council or a board of directors or something like that and because some because like you said sometimes it does work sometimes it works best if it's a situation where it doesn't really make sense what the person's saying like right somebody like kevin mccarthy in uh invasion of the body snatchers or if the people who don't believe him have something to gain by not believing him like exactly like the people in jaws if they have a good reason to then it's one thing but i don't feel like this is a film where that's happening they have all just seen like the same way they have all just seen someone get killed in the mist right or probably get killed and so the fact that they don't want to believe it it can it can only be read as willful ignorance like almost like it's too much for them to accept and which there's can play that that's a that's a note you can play and you do you have to do it subtly though right and with some of those characters it does almost work but with a lot of them it it just doesn't at all and that's that's another thing like a lot of sequences in the film well i'll say this in one thing that works really well in horror movies is a situation where people Something terrible is happening to them, and they can't get out. Like, yeah. they can't do anything about it. Um, those are a lot of the great sequences in horror movies where somebody's being attacked, and it's like their their foot's trapped or something, or like uh, they're surrounded, or it's like you, you can't think of a way out. That's effective, but there are several scenes in this film where the the first choice of anyone who was actually in that situation would be get out of there or don't do that. And when they do it, like opening that back door and going out into the mist, which they clearly should all know is a bad idea, then it, it just rings as untrue and and just for the sake of making a movie continue and seeing a, a terrible thing happen. There's a later scene where they try to go into a pharmacy to get some drugs for, for people, which starts out kind of good because they got to get through the mist. They don't know what's in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's important that they get to the pharmacy. But 
when they get there, it's filled with these some kind of horrible spider creatures that start attacking them. But instead of just leaving, because they've got the drugs already, like they have all the drugs and the door's right there. They don't go. They sit there and fight the spiders, which just keep coming and coming and coming for long enough for like three of them to die and then they run out. And so that's a situation where in watching the movie, you're like, there's no reason anyone would ever stay in there. Like, and you, that's, you, that's an easy fix. Like, yeah. if you have something outside the pharmacy that's there just in that moment, yeah. it just happens to be like hanging, not hanging out, but like it happens to be walking by. Like, they're about to leave. Hey, there's these spider creatures and they're, and they're about to rush out just when they see this thing show up. And they're like, yeah. well, we can't go out there because that thing is big enough to kill us all instantly. We might have a better chance with these things. Mm-hmm. Like that is an that's an yeah. easy fix. Yeah, you know, you got to paint characters into a corner if you're going to make them do these things. Right, exactly. And if that's the case, then that's great. But that's that isn't the case in this. So, um, so I didn't like that. <laughs> uh, I didn't like several of the several of the performances, actually, including I, I wasn't a fan of Thomas Jane's performance. Hmm. Um, and I don't think he's a bad actor. I just. I, I don't know. He seems like a bad actor in this movie to me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's happened other with other actors that I know are good. Like, uh, I saw one recently and I can't remember what it is. So I won't even try to go into it, but sometimes there's an actor who maybe you've seen in something else that you loved him in that. And then him or her in that. And then when they're in this other movie, you're like, why does this person seem like they don't know how to act? And, and I don't it's, know if it's, it's casting or I don't know what it is. It's probably like the script. It could be that. Yeah. Like, sp- I find it often happens with writer directors because they clear like they wrote it and they clearly had a specific type of performance in mind and then they direct an actor to give this performance mm-hmm. and it might not work like uh, yeah. David Mamet does that a lot. Mm. I I like him as a writer, I like him as a director, but like if you watch a movie like House of Games, Joe Mantegna is great in it. Lindsay Krauss, who if you watch The Verdict, in which she's by the way delivering David Mamet dialogue, she but she's directed by Sidney Lumet mm. and she's great in that. And then she got married to David Mamet and was in House of Games, is made the lead, and is given lines that are fine, but is clearly told to deliver them like as flatly as possible. And she looks like a bad actress in it. And yeah. it's, it's very unfortunate. Um, okay. Well, we'll move into, because I don't want to dwell too, too long on this. Because um, there's more. Yeah, but we don't want to get like bogged down in like yeah, specific yeah. Uh, specific details. But yeah. I do want to say uh, some of the things that I like about it, and you might share some of these, you might not. Yeah, maybe. Um, should, I, I feel like there was maybe another general thing I wanted to say okay. that I could say without going into it too much. Um, two things, and I'll try to make them quick. I already said before, I don't. I feel like the the character connections to make us care about these characters are are not solid. There's one with. Thomas Jane and a woman that he just meets in the store that seems to become his grocery store wife or something. Um, there's him and his son, uh, who the son is a, is a totally one dimensional character. There's, uh, a couple, this young girl and a soldier that apparently we had this one scene where it turns out that, Oh, they've known each other for years, but never really were able to get together. And then she dies in the next scene. Um, so there's several of those things that are made to, to make us care about the characters and don't work for me. Um, and then there is, I don't really like the, I feel like it's a purposeful portrayal of Christianity in the inside the, inside the grocery store villain, um, 
outside of the there's there's the monsters outside but then inside there's this woman who they talk about being worse than the monsters and from what i understand in the book she's not that much of a christian as much as she is a zealot who seems to worship some sort of god that requires weird like human sacrifice Mm -hmm. and in the movie they just kind of made her into a christian who believes that god wants human sacrifices uh and i i I don't know i feel like that was a you said ham-fisted before and i feel like that's maybe a ham-fisted critique on on Christianity. And if it is meant as a critique on Christianity, I think it's uh, not very well delivered or thought out. Okay. And I'll use that actually to transition into um, some of my thoughts about the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, that character does not bother me. Mm-hmm. I do not view it as a uh, critique of Christianity at all, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see why they would make the change uh, from just an all purpose. I, I believe in some random God that demands sacrifice, not unlike Cabin of the Woods. Um, <laughs> but um, because, f- quite frankly, like in a in a film that already has a lot of uh, out there ideas, the the idea that like whether or not there's these demons and and creatures, whether or not they're there, this woman still has crazy beliefs, you know. And so I feel like they wanted to ground this character a little bit more into something that we that is a bit more familiar and there is a strain of christianity that i I won't even go so far as say fund like fundamentalist like there is there are christians out there that are so extreme in certain the specific aspects of christianity that they mean to that they try to emphasize that i would venture to say and we'll get more into this a little bit later that i I don't even think they count as christian anymore like they just seem to really emphasize certain ideas those being like judgment not even justice but judgment and punishment and the only person that's doing anything right by crazy coincidence is them um and so I think it's something that's a bit more recognizable. And so I think they made that specifics for the character. Uh, I don't think it's meant to be like, hey, look at look at this person. Look, This person is representative of all Christians. I don't think it's even meant to be uh, represent, uh, representative of religion in general. And I'm usually I, I, I'm usually quick to get upset about the way Christians are depicted. It is it is a. Uh, a topic that I'd like to devote an episode to is the way Christians are depicted in uh, film and television. Um, I think there'd be a, a good episode in that. But uh, And we will, at that time, we'll bring up this character as well. Um, but uh, I think it's just, uh, she just feels like somebody who is completely in normal life because of not not merely what she believes, but how she believes it, how she states it, is pushed to the absolute fringes of this town. Nobody takes her seriously. But in moments of crisis, sometimes the most extreme person or or anybody who has an answer, it could be a ridiculous answer. Um, it could be an answer that you would never in any other circumstance take seriously. But it's somebody with an answer, and all you have is questions. And you ter- And in that moment... We will take anybody we can get. Um, and so that the, the fact that this woman, played by Marsha Gay Harden, the character's name is uh, Mrs. Carmody, um, the fact that she is within the store elevated to a position of power, I think, yes, it, might, it has to do with her character a little bit. I think it has less to do with her beliefs. And I don't think that uh, the film is meant to show uh, – Christian sheep or anything like that. I think it's actually meant to be something larger. 
about uh, human nature and the the feeling that in in extreme circumstances we will turn you know we will sort of turn our our own discernment off and turn to anybody who can speak confidently mm-hmm. um, and uh, and it's interesting when the movie first came out and by the way I'm not abandoning what I'm about to say just because of what we're talking about uh, in the episode um, when the film first came out I felt that it was a very very good analogy for uh, terrorism because you get a couple of different points of view you get it's this, you know, the and with the creatures standing in for terrorists. There's these, there are these things that are far away. You can't see them. You can't really make them out. Occasionally, they'll they'll jump in and like ruin things. But you, you're not even totally sure that they they're just this amorphous thing. Um. And so, like, and because you can't see them clearly, there are people that say, "Well, it's they're not a threat." Everything's fine. Don't worry about it. And there's a character played by Andre Brower, uh, who, and I like the character a lot. I like Andre Brower a lot as an actor. He was he's on um, he's currently on TV in a show called uh, Last Resort, but he was no, also on uh, he was also on uh, Homicide, Life in, uh, Life on the Streets, and he was on Men of a Certain Age. He is by and large a TV actor who occasionally plays uh, occasionally acts in film, mm-hmm. um, and I liked him a lot. He played a very down to earth character. He doesn't necessarily, you know, he's doubting that there's anything out there in the mist, um, but he doesn't seem haughty. He just is a doubter. He just is a, a a skeptic, and so he actually and he's willing to put his money where his mouth is, and he goes out into the mist. And they tie a rope to him so that I believe that the thing is, like, if it turns out he's wrong, they know how much space, you know, how much, uh, not room, but, like, how far they can go out before they could, they'll ostensibly be killed. So, um, and so he goes out, and sure enough, he is killed. And it sure is. He sure is. And it's fairly early. You don't, I don't think you see how he gets killed, right? You just see a blood-soaked rope when they pull it back, right? Uh, a blood-soaked rope tied to the bottom half of his body. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he gets ripped in half, it sounds like. Somehow. All right. So I guess you have some... Hey, you don't know how that happened, though. Uh-huh. <laughs> no. Was it one swift motion, or was it uh, you know slow and uh, horrible? Although the, that part... Maybe I missed something, but it confused me, because it seemed like... He said that no, he wouldn't tie the rope to his waist. And then there's this big kind of tall trucker type guy whom it, it seemed like he volunteered to do it. And so I assumed it had been that guy who had killed had been killed. And then later on, they refer to this other character as if he was the one that had been killed. And I, I guess I, maybe I missed something. I don't know. Because I, I kept I kept expecting they would go and find him somewhere. Like they'd be outside and there he'd be. Um but I guess not. <laughs> yeah, no, I, he, he dies fairly early. And again, I can't uh, give specifics because I haven't seen the film in a while. I probably should have. I apologize. We tried to make it so that we could see it on the same day, and it didn't work out. Didn't work um, out. Sorry. But anyway, so I like his performance. And, and he represents, like, the person who is skeptical about it all and is willing to, to try it and only to find out that there actually is a threat. And then Mrs. Carmody is the character who capitalizes on the threat and has and actually is not that interested in neutralizing the threat, but is much more interested in what she can get out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is an argument to be made that 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 you know, in the when it came to like the war on terror, there are people that uh, that used it 
as an opportunity to, to grab more power for themselves. Um, so that's how I saw the film when it first came out. And, th- and I think that uh, that interpretation act- actually can still uh, bear out. But from a spiritual standpoint, and that's what I, what I want to get into. Um, and we'll get into it in a moment. But uh, from a spiritual standpoint, I think it works out quite well. Um, but real quick, I do want to say that there's one other thing. There, there's a few things that I like. I actually think the, the performances are pretty good all around. I like Marsha Gay Harden. She's totally over the top, but I'm okay with it. Um, I think Thomas Jane was fine. I think for the type of film that it is, uh, I remember thinking his performance was was fine, kind of appropriately neutral. Um, one could say bland, but yeah. I, I thought I considered it to be neutral because that's sort of the character. He's in between Andre Brower and, and Marsha Gay Harden, so I think he needs to seem like the one that is the least extreme mm-hmm. um i thought toby jones was good i liked him a lot i, um, I did like his performance that was that I was one that stood toby out jones. to me yeah i think he's a good actor but uh but there was one thing that i really that i that it's going to sound strange the idea of mob rule and the idea that 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 when people get together and if they as a as as a group just decide to do something awful that you can't do anything about it. Mm. We, you've seen it depicted in movies and TV shows before, uh, but for some reason, this movie was like the first instance where, like, because you mentioned uh, uh, the soldier, I, I think it's the soldier where he actually you, you discover that the military was trying something and they and they tore the they tore a hole in the space-time continuum and and that's when all these things came in from another dimension and so he being the represent uh, representative of the military he gets blamed for everything and so mrs carmody and her followers within the store of which there are many at this point since they blame him they decide they're going to throw him out into the mist and essentially killing him and uh and so you see him fighting and he and you realize like this isn't a bad guy he's a perfectly reason you know you don't know much about him as a person but he seems like a just a just a good guy he's not a general he's not a colonel mm. he's just a soldier he did nothing wrong it's merely what he represents but you see the mob just grab him and he's fighting and there's nothing he can do mm-hmm. and and in that moment i i got so angry mm-hmm. I, I know it sounds strange but in that it just like you just, I just wanted to like yell at these characters and be like, <laughs> he didn't do anything. Don't you realize that? And uh, I believe he winds up winds up getting stabbed first, right? Like in the yeah, stomach. Yeah, somebody stabs him. Yeah, and so and he can't really fight anymore at that point. And uh, and then he gets thrown out into the mist and he gets killed. Mm-hmm. And and I remember just being so angry. And uh, another example that I saw a few years later was in the HBO miniseries John Adams, where a character gets. A character that I, as a viewer, don't really like. We don't see a lot of him, but I don't really like him as far as what he represents. But he is not the king of England by any stretch. And uh, and then the colonists, the American colonists, who I should be on board with, they, as a group, grab this guy, strip him naked, and put hot, and pour hot tar all over tar him. Tar and feather him. Tarred and feathered. Which Ride is him phrase. out on a rail. Yeah, and so and the, of course the idea of tarring and feathering seems somehow quaint, but you see it and it looks so awful. And the fact that this guy just can't get away, mm. uh, it's really quite awful. The idea of mob justice is something that like uh, I hadn't really thought much about, but seeing it in the mist really like brought it home for me. Uh, that's one of the scenes that I remember 
very distinctly. Um, and you know what? Maybe that's why, uh, maybe that's why, uh, Frank Darabont did so well with the walking dead because what is a mo- what is a, a group of zombies, if not a, a mob that you just can't get away from. Yeah. And, and so that will not listen to reason. Absolutely not. And so, uh, so I responded to that quite a bit and, and I, I just really loved it. So, so yeah, it's a film that I think I like in the in a broad sense. Once you start getting you know specific with with details, like there are scenes that that's just like that doesn't where characters they act like characters in horror movies not, and not the good horror movies where yeah. you're just constantly like why are you doing that as opposed to you know the good horror movies like Texas Chainsaw Massacre where you're just stuck and yeah. there's nothing you can do and the character tries everything you would try yeah and they and they're still stuck yeah you know that's. And there would be pretty easy fixes to this, to, mm-hmm. to some of these issues. So it certainly is not a perfect film. I, I think it works in, in a broad sense. Um, it's a big picture type of movie, not specific details, which I find, whether it be a miniseries or a movie, I do find that Stephen King, his stuff tends to be kind of big picture. Um, yeah, I think so. He seems to be talking about, like, big things. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think he's a. I mean, he's not known for his subtlety. I don't think that's right. his, his strength as a writer. And if you um, look at the stuff that he's like adapted himself, mm-hmm. like uh, like he adapted um, The Shining into the miniseries with Steven Weber, which I yeah. think is pretty good. But it still has like a he has an odd way with dialogue. He mm-hmm. has an odd way with characterization that I think works really well in a book, but I think needs to be very specifically adapted into a film. Yeah, some stuff. Some dialogue just looks better on the page than it does when it's actually spoken. Yeah, uh, that's that's just the way it works. And unfortunately, they don't. Uh, it would be great if the two just one just translated perfectly into the other, but yeah. it's unfortunately not the case sometimes. Um, and speaking of The Shining, it's uh, it's funny because that was one of the movies that I was thinking of when I thought of one that really captures that sense of hopelessness and dread that seems to be in a lot of his books. Yeah. And that is an adaptation that Stephen King has come out and said he doesn't like. So yeah. The, the Kubrick's Shining is what I'm talking about, yeah. not the miniseries. Which and if if you were to watch the two back to back, like they're they're very different, yeah. and I think they I think they accomplish different completely things. different things. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, so it's a movie that I I like and that I would recommend. Josh uh, would not, but at the same time, this is my show. That's true. So I think you should. I the official more than one lesson p- position is that you should is that we love. The mist. However, if you go and watch The Unemployed Mind, there'll be a little banner going across this week's episode that says, don't watch The Mist. And so, you know. Got your own little piece of turf there, don't you? Got it right there. (laughs) And that's weird, because even before you knew we were doing this episode, you put it in there. I hadn't even seen it. But word on the street was, you got to avoid this movie. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so I think it's worth watching, if for no other reason than because of some of the things that we're going to talk about now. Um... And I'm sorry that it's taken us so long to, uh, yeah, so long to get here. Sorry, everybody. I have no idea how long we've been doing this right Good. now. That's probably for the best. Yeah, I would, I'd probably be stopping us. I better not look at the actual time time. Yeah. Okay. So, because um, you got places to be. I got, sleep is where I got to be. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you just looked at the time. Don't do that. I Although, know. I guess you got to look at I had at to look at my notes, notes, so, yeah. Um, okay. So... And it's probably it might be a little obvious because uh, I already talked about the the terrorism uh, analogy that I see in the film. But from a Christian standpoint, I, I 
And from a spiritual standpoint, I think the mist is something that we can learn from. I think it's a really good image of some very important truths. Um, and there are two that I want to talk about. And the first one, Josh and I were discussing this before we started recording, we want to be very careful with. Um, and so I already talked about Andre Brower's character. He's the guy who thinks there is nothing to worry about, that he can go out and one could say, wants, you know, makes friends with the mist, which is to say there's nothing to worry about, there is no threat, everything is fine. Um, and so, and he pays the price. And so let's, let's, let's imagine that the people in the store are, let's just say they're all Christians. Okay. Let's, let's, let's put this little stencil over it that everyone in the store is a Christian. Okay. What? And there's one crazy atheist who's a horrible threat. (laughs) And now we have to take that person down. Okay. That's, we have to kill them so that they don't poison our minds and destroy our society. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Let's imagine it's like that. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. But let's let's I'm imagine. Sorry. I'm ruining your analogy for the wrong reason. I, I, Absolutely. I'm going to cut this right out. Okay. So, um, but let's let's just imagine that that everybody in there is a Christian. They all, for all intents and purposes, believe the same thing. Mm-hmm. Now, and let's say this: the store is the church, capital C, the church. So, a body of believers in one place, uh, a community. Again, for all intents and purposes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then let's say that outside of the store is the world, capital W. Um, now, we should probably explain in biblical terms what the world means um, for the purposes of this analogy. And again, we want to be very careful because I know that a lot of people that listen to this are not Christian. So I want to be careful with the tone that I strike, and I don't want you to think that I'm saying something that I'm not. Um, so I think we're going to read some some Bible verses here, and then we're going to then we're going to talk about them. Uh, y- your first instinct might to get might be to get offended. Please hear us out and listen listen to the whole thing. So okay, first we're going to go with. Um, we're going to go with John 15, verses 18 through 20. Uh, I have quoted this verse on the show before. Uh, this is something that Jesus says. And uh, Josh, I'll have you read it. All right. This is uh, John 15, 18 through 20. Uh, Jesus said, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, belonged to the world, past tense, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Okay. So I'm going to read the next one. So we're going to read these, and then we'll then we'll uh, talk about them. So I'm going to read First John, uh, chapter two, verses fifteen through seventeen. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world. Uh, Oh, if, any, if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. 
All right. Uh, this this next one is a slight uh, slight change, um, but we're gonna ha- we're gonna read it anyway. We'll go with we'll have Josh read it. It's First Peter, chapter nine verses. Uh, I'm sorry, chapter five, five verses six through nine. Yeah. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand, that He may look. That should be lift. Sorry, sorry. It's typed out wrong. It's okay. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Okay. So, if you hear that, and you're not a Christian, you it's entirely possible that you, that you think that Christians hate you. <laughs> um, <laughs> and at this point... Uh, I don't have it written down here, but thankfully, it's a verse I have committed to memory, and it's John three sixteen. Um, <laughs> uh, you might have uh, seen it at uh, ball games. Uh, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, and whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. So, of course, I want to focus on the first part there. Mm-hmm. For God so loved the world, and this is the same world that we're talking about here. Yeah. And I, I hate to pass the buck, but I'm interested to know how you, Josh, would define the world in these, you know, from, from these verses. I mean, I think the distinction that it makes is the world is essentially that which is not God. Mm-hmm. I think it's that which is created. Yes. Um, and so it's not, uh, God's not saying, and Jesus isn't saying that that creation that everything apart from himself is inherently bad i mean the exact opposite in in genesis in the genesis account god says that he created everything and that it was good mm-hmm. um i guess you could make the argument that's a pre-fall world but yeah. uh um but then again as as you just read from john 3:16 god so loved the world mm-hmm. so it's not that uh god hates the world and uh only loves himself and the people who love him um, it kind of makes the distinction in these verses that the problem is with loving the world mm-hmm. and um, because there's an inherent difference in in beliefs and in uh, really goals and uh, and gods if you will between God and the world um there will always be strife between the two mm-hmm. because uh, you can't serve two masters. Right. So God and the world have are separate things with separate desires and uh, the people who are of the world and not um, followers of God are they have different desires and different goals and mm-hmm. so a different set of beliefs means that you hold different values. There are different things that are important to the two of you. And, uh, the more refined those become, and especially in more serious situations, um, the conflict between the two can become very great. Yeah. It's, you know, a a way to, to look at it is like Josh is saying goals, values, and 
you know, it could be priorities and and ultimately like what you what you look to. Now, Josh and I live in Hollywood and North Hollywood specifically, which is not in any way connected with Hollywood. The word Hollywood should not be in the name of the part of the city we live in because it is not at all connected. It's north of Hollywood. It's north of Hollywood, but there's nothing Hollywood about it. Also, here's a funny little L.A. thing. Even people who live in other parts of L.A. and even in Hollywood proper uh, don't realize that North Hollywood is like a different part of town. Completely different. It's like you might be more familiar with there's you got New York, you got the Bronx and Manhattan. So imagine that there is a place called North Manhattan that's a it's a totally separate borough. Yeah. But if you were to say it to people, they would think that you live in the north part of Manhattan. Yeah. Um, you would think that a New York would be like, no, that's not the case. But in, in people even in Hollywood don't realize that North Hollywood is a separate part of town, like a separate place. It, yeah. There's, all, there's a mountain between us. <laughs> yeah. It's a mountain and a place called Studio City. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it makes no sense. But so we live uh, in Los Angeles. Um, I've not had extensive uh, experience in the Hollywood community. I've interned at a couple places. I worked at a, at a place. I've met some various people, and it is. And, and but Josh has has acted in things. Has uh, worked as uh, an AD and as a PA in various uh, capacities. And I've said before because Hollywood is a very good example of this. Um, so much so that I mean, there are entire movies and TV series made about the fact that Hollywood, it is you look out for yourself first, and if someone can help you, great, be friends with them all day long. The minute they can't help Until you, they can't help you anymore. And oh, God forbid, if they hurt you in some mm. way, if they're hurting your career, uh, drop them. You know, um, the idea of of loyalty to something other than yourself and your career and your own success is silly and frowned upon like mm-hmm. we've all hey you know in, in so competitive a city where you you gotta have like luck on your side and you might only get one chance mm-hmm. like if it's between if you get the chance and it's between looking out for yourself or looking out for a relationship that you claim to value the city and the industry says look out for yourself mm-hmm. you can make friends you can buy friends. You can always make more friends. Yeah. So, um, so it, it's it's fortunate that or we, wives, exa- exactly. Hey, or you know. parents, maybe. Yeah, probably. It was a little tougher, but you can get there. Hey, with enough money, that's true. You can get anything you need on the black market. What we mean to say by that is, if you would like us to be your parents, Ugh. there is a price. I'm not very responsible. That's all right. That's true. If somebody's got that much money, they don't need us to be responsible for them. They just, need, they just need to feel loved. We will pretend to love you for a price. Absolutely. And we were both actors, so we can sell it. Oh, you'll believe it. Yeah, absolutely. So um, so it's kind of fortunate that we both actually live here and have uh, varying degrees of experience here and at least have seen – I mean, I've, I've seen the whole – I was there. I was listening to a, uh, a phone call with a producer ta- just tearing into an actor – and it was amazing. He literally, he, he didn't say it word for word, but the whole, you'll never work in this town again. <laughs> Just, and, and promising that he would do everything he could to make sure that this kid does not work again. Because the kid, had, and he was, this was a young kid, not a lot of experience. The kid had made a mistake. 
with like reporting something to his union, not because he was aware that something had been done wrong, but because he wanted to get paid. And it, it this inconvenienced the producer. And by the way, nothing wound up coming of it. Everything turned out fine. But he still tore into this kid. And the idea of grace and mercy, nowhere to be found in there. This mm-hmm. guy was inconvenienced, could possibly get in a small amount of trouble, and that's all that mattered. And so that is the world. You know, we're talking about Hollywood here, but that's a nice mo- microcosm for the world. It is get yours, be nice if you can, that's great. But get yours first and foremost, you know, and I'm sure that there are plenty of people saying like, well, I I don't I'm not Christian. That's not me. And that's probably true. Yes. And I I think really that's that's just one example of a a difference in in core values taken to an extreme. Right. It can be any number of things like sometimes it could be what from your uh, uh Maybe from your view and from even society's view seems good, like seems like you're doing a good thing, Mm -hmm. but it might conflict with, I mean, if it conflicts with what the Bible would say is a good thing, then as Christians, we differ with that. Right. And so there are a lot of things that that Christians and non-Christians will differ on, and the the bigger it gets and the more serious it gets... um, those differences become they can become life or death death things and that's why i think jesus makes these distinctions to say that it's so important that you have to be committed to uh to god and not to the world and and that's again like we're saying not to say that everyone in the world is bad but of course because not. there's a different set of of beliefs and values two people could totally believe that one that could completely opposite things are good yeah and at one point you have to choose one. Yeah. It's, I mean, when we talk about like making friends with the world and stuff, we're not talking about making or, or loving the world. We're not talking about people. You're supposed to love people. You're supposed to be there for them, for them, Christian or not in every possible way. But the mindset and the philosophy of the world, as the Bible describes it, um, or as the Bible defines it, like you cannot have both. You cannot like the day will come when like, the Bible says for you to do one thing and your natural instinct says to do the other. Yeah. And you really can't do both. And so, and from a practical purpose. And so this is, this is where the film comes into play because you want, you could wind up like Andre Brower who says, you know what? This isn't so bad. It's there's, it's not as bad as these crazy, as some of my fellow Christians say it is certainly I can dabble in some of these some of these ideas and and it's fine i don't want to be seen a certain way and every christian does that i've done it i'm sure josh josh has done it yeah. this idea of like i don't want to seem like this so i will you know so i will maybe align with a certain type of people or just align with a certain viewpoint yeah only to find i'll use my own i'll use an example from this podcast so with bp I found an audience that, and you know what? A lot of people that listen to this uh, came over from BP, and they've been incredibly supportive, and I love it. That's battleship pretension. That's for battleship pretension know for, for some reason. Yeah, it's not uh, the oil uh, <laughs> uh, company. People like the oil, and they're they're like, you know what? I think I ought to check out more yeah, than one Christ- lesson. I love movies and Christianity as well as oil. Um, but uh, but yeah, and so um, so yeah, I don't mean to say you know a lot of people came over from that, but. 
there have been some that listen to this and and they're like i really love what you're doing and they're not christian they say i really love what you're doing you're doing great things and then eventually i wind up saying something that they don't like and suddenly it's not that i'm suddenly i'm not the good kind of christian i'm not the cool the cool kind of christian that they like because because i'm you know i'm saying i'm not disagreeing with them on anything the day the day came when i said something that they absolutely disagreed with and some of them were great about it some of them said okay well we disagree that day might be today for some could people. be today <laughs> but others said others just tore into me because ultimately in that moment i had to make a choice who was i going to align with and i chose to align with the bible and as Jesus said, they hated me, and they'll hate you if you if you say the things I say, and if you take the stands I take. Why do you think you'll be treated differently? I'm not saying that I was killed or even persecuted, but like mm. people who are totally on board with me, and I'm and they liked the idea that this show was like taking it to to the Christians who didn't like movies. But whenever I but sometimes my my views happen to line up with those Christians and that was unacceptable. And that was, by the way, a huge minority of people, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? And so they stopped listening. They left the show. They said some choice things to me on the way out and, uh, it, it was awful. I hated it, but <laughs> that's the way it goes. And so that's one of the things that I wanted to talk about before we move into the other thing is that, absolutely we're not saying don't be friends with non-christians don't love them don't make every possible sacrifice you can for them but when it comes right down to it you may be forced to to take a stand and things might not go great yeah at the very least an argument might break out you might be forced to take a stand against someone that you love like that's uh jesus says you should uh you should i'm gonna use the exact wording wrong which is gonna (laughs) maybe then make the verse uh, moot but he says something to the effect of you will have to leave your father and mother and follow me yeah. leave your family behind so that that sets the precedent of anyone even even the people who are closest to you you may be forced to make a decision between god and those people and that's a point that we made during our proposition episode that like one of the you know something that even in the in the almost maybe even especially in the christian world the idea of family i mean nothing is nothing is higher than family well god is yeah. If if you like the world says like th- there is something that can define you. It could be the way you look. It could be the job you have. It could be the, the your family. None of these are inherently bad things. Mm-hmm. But if they become ultimate things, then they're taking the place of God and th- suddenly you'll fight for those things instead of instead of God. And of course we all, I mean we certainly all uh fall into that. Uh it's it's a huge temptation that I think at any given point, any Christian is in the process of putting something above, above God and trying not to Mm. hopefully. But, uh, but yeah, so even good things like family, when it comes down to it, like God is more important. Yeah. And I think one of the points we want to make for Christians is that, uh, while it seems, it, it might seem better. It certainly may seem easier to to go with with the world mm-hmm. um, to go with something that's not what the Bible says or what God says uh, it is ultimately dangerous to do that mm-hmm. and um, that's an important thing to to be aware of but at the same time I think a point that we can make for 
for those who aren't Christians is uh, this view could come off as just radical yeah. and and ridiculous and to uh, for us to maybe put that in a in a context for you to think that in in saying that we all have views that we hold very dear and there may be a point when a view that that you have that is is maybe a core value to who you are as a person um conflicts with everyone around you mm-hmm. and when that's the case you still have to stick to your you have to stick to your guns and stick to what you believe um so that's uh, we want to say that that's uh, that's not unique just to Christians who don't want to believe what other people say. Absolutely, it's it is a. I think it is it's a value for anyone who holds any anything very strongly. Right, and um, Christians we we don't hold our beliefs be, beliefs because we dislike everybody else or because um, everybody else is a terrible person and we're way better. Um, but we we believe that certain things are true, and those some of those things are very important to us, and maybe vital to who we are. Mm-hmm. And that's and why we believe as as you do with whatever it is you believe. We believe that to compromise those things, perhaps as a function of you know cultural pressure, is yeah. a very bad thing. Yeah, and it can be destructive to ourselves and to others and to. Uh, our community of believers yes so yes and that and that is important you know uh, to to reiterate yes if you are not a christian and you are hearing this and your first instinct is to get defensive and think you know uh, what are they saying uh we are not at war with you we don't dislike you in fact if you're listening to this i love you um (laughs) because you're one of the few that actually (laughs) listens to this thank you um but uh but yeah, I, I don't want you to get that impression that I'm that this is a call to arms for my Christian <laughs> listeners to turn on you. That is not what find I'm those non-Christian listeners and right. get them. But I do want to take this opportunity to switch things around a little bit and make the second point. Um, the companion film is George Romero's Night of the Living Dead, which you've seen. <laughs> I'm going to assume that, okay? Because everybody has in some way, shape, or form. Uh, I love this movie. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. I think it's amazing. I think it's probably one of the top five horror movies ever made. Um, that's that's just me. Not everybody loves it as much as I do. I think it's so beautifully realized um, in just the way it, the story it's telling, the way it's shot, uh, the characters that are that are um, portrayed. Mm-hmm. It's I, I think it's great. Uh, Josh, are you a fan of it? I kind of. It's it's been a while since I've seen it again. Uh, here, here's maybe where our roles are reversed again. I, I imagine you've probably seen it more recently than I have because I more I recently and I've seen it many times. Yeah, I've only seen it. I think I've only seen it once, and it's been a few years. Okay, but um, it's one of those. That there's a reason that it's a classic when you watch it. It, it stands out not only because it's um. Not only because it has an affecting story, uh, but because it's it did something new in a way. Yeah, and really, I think one reason that people have liked it a lot is because it's kind of a, a benchmark of independent film. Yes, because um, that was a that that was a time when independent film was was uh, kind of 
reaching a, a really starting to come into its own in the United States and yeah. um and I believe it came out this is an interesting this is interesting to film nerds by the way <laughs> I believe it came out the same year as Faces John Cassavetes really? film um and in a way they kind of look the same they kind of have a grainy black <laughs> and do. white quality yeah, so yeah. I like to think that because they're both independent both black and white both really grainy both with a certain uh I don't know just a, a very I don't know, just uh, amateurish, not in a bad way, but like an amateurish feel to them. I like to think they exist in the same universe. <laughs> that uh, that these characters and faces, about two months later, things really went bad for everybody. <laughs> maybe that was God punishing the characters from faces. Um, maybe now you'll start being real with one another. Um, but uh, yeah, and it's... Uh, it is. It is one of those where yes, it was the first to do a lot of things. It was the first to. It was the first movie of the. I won't say zombie because George Romero did not use the word zombie. He didn't like the word zombie. He used the word in the movie. He he used the word ghoul. But yeah. it was the first like Walking Dead movie to get any kind of real traction. Yeah. And um, and so uh, and and it was it wasn't. I mean, you watch it now and it's pretty tame in its gore and violence. But just yeah. the idea of people being eaten by these things it was very disturbing to people at the time it's yeah. still disturbing now yeah the idea is still disturbing yeah it's uh you know at the very least off-putting um and it's and it's uh, and it did set the standard for movies like the mist where it's just a bunch of people just hold up in this house mm-hmm. trying to figure out what they're going to do as the house slowly but surely gets surrounded by zombies yeah and it has the it has the uh complexity to it to actually incorporate issues that were happening in Absolutely. the country at the time so that's that's a thing that often horror movies don't try to tackle because yeah. they you know they've got what they need to be a good horror movie right like you can have a good horror movie without social commentary but to be able to incorporate it is is shows a lot of uh talent and expertise maybe yeah and it does it without really even calling that much attention to yeah it. like one of the things well i'll get to that in a second but um and it just you know, I mentioned that like it's low budget, it's black and white. Somehow, yeah, okay. So there was a movie, uh, a film version of Othello made by Orson Welles, and there is a scene in which uh, some costumes were supposed to arrive on a certain day as he was filming it, and he was doing it independently, of course. So he didn't have a whole lot of money to spend. Uh, so the costumes were for the scenes they were going to shoot that day. They were supposed to arrive, and they didn't. But they still they had to stay on schedule. So Orson Welles decided he was going to have that scene take place in a Turkish bath, and all he had to do was wrap people in towels. <laughs> and that is by far the most interesting sequence of the film. Wow. Is because a murder takes place uh, mm-hmm. in a Turkish bath, you know. And, Which uh, part is that? Who gets murdered there? Is that... Uh, I don't the, remember the name of the character. The guy who they think is... Uh, who they think is sleeping with Desdemona? I think... Think so. I'm I not. I'm not the totally character's sure. name. All of a sudden, yeah. Um, I think it's Michael something, which stands out to me because he has, he has like a English sounding last it's name. Bill, but I think his first name's Michael. Now I'm going to look it up. Keep but, talking um, though. But yeah, and so it's so that's an example of your limitations actually make everything better, and somehow the the grainy black and white makes Night of the Living Dead somehow creepier than if they had shot it in color and everything was nice and crisp and they had a nice budget like it just makes it feel it gives it a a cinema verite like a not documentary but it has that quality to it so it feels like 
this could this could actually happen you know as opposed to some other horror movies where the better it looks the more clear the artifice is um so if you haven't seen Night of the Living Dead, I really recommend it. And one of the things that I, that, that I wanted to mention is, as I said, it's very similar to uh, The Mist um, in that all these people are stuck in one place and the tensions rise in which these people cannot agree on what it is they're going to do. Each character has an opinion. Well, I think we should do this. And someone says, I think we should do that. And fights break out within the house. And it's one of those things like there are people, there are zombies, ghouls, one could say, Outside the house, they want to come in and eat all of you. And you are bickering. <laughs> now, admittedly, they're bickering over what's the best way to save all of our lives. So it's not a small argument. Yeah. But at the very least, it's like, how about like just trying to figure out one plan? <laughs> but that's the thing. Personal pride comes in. And this is one yeah. of the beautiful things. The main character, his, the character's name is Ben. He is black. And nobody ever and and the main guy who is who's fighting him, he's got a wife, he has a daughter, you know. I mean, he cares about his family, um, but he is particularly belligerent to Ben. He never says it's because you're black. He never calls him a name. It has nothing. But you get the impression that if Ben was white, the fight wouldn't be. There'd probably still be a disagreement, but it probably wouldn't be as vehement. Yeah. Um, and that's that's I think that's the beauty of that's one of the beautiful things about what you can do with the horror genre. Without saying a thing, you can communicate, you can speak volumes about a certain thing. And there, and you know, at the end of the film, you see you see zombies like strung up by these uh, southern deputies and stuff. And it's like, oh, that looks a little familiar. <laughs> and uh, and the ending, uh, Ben winds up being the only guy that makes it. Spoilers. And the deputies still shoot him. <laughs> because they thought he was a zombie. Or one could say, he's not a threat. But hey, better safe than sorry. Mm-hmm. And in the 1960s in the South, even though it takes place in Pennsylvania, mm. but like in, in rural parts of the country, like you see a black man stalking around in the house where there are dangerous people around. Better to shoot first and just take it, you know, be careful about it. Yeah. Um, Ask questions later. Yeah. Or don't. You know? You probably I won't get them these... answered. I yeah. mean, not if you're a good shot. So, it's... Uh, so, there, the, the film manages to do really great things in how it approaches... Um, you know, race relations and, and racial tensions and that sort of thing. Mm. But it does have what we're talking about. Just these people just arguing. And quite frankly, if they had been able to get, get, get it together and, and actually come up with a plan that everybody could agree upon, chances are everyone would have been alive, or at least they could have minimized the casualties. Um, and it's worth noting, by the way, that Ben, our hero, he lives by doing what the what the jerk who doesn't like him what he went what he recommended the whole time, which yeah. was let's go and let's lock ourselves in the basement and ride this thing out. Mm-hmm. Ben was not in favor of that, but in the end, that's what he winds up doing, and that's how that's how he makes that's it. That's how he makes it. And so, the film certainly does not it sides more with Ben than with the other guy because the guy's a jerk, but like it does not. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't let Ben off the hook. I mean, yeah. ultimately, like cooperation is the key. Yeah. Um, and so, and then of course, with uh, with the mist, you have 
the people that the, not Andre Brower, the people that take this, the threat seriously, even within that, you have divisions, you have people that are using the opportunity to get power. And I think let's let's uh, continue with my little analogy. Let's say everybody in there is Christian, and the store itself is the church, capital C. There are absolutely people within the church that use that use the Bible to get power for themselves. It could be power in so far as getting people to do what they want. It could be to get money. Mm-hmm. It could be just a personal sense of superiority. And they cause divisions. They say, you're a real Christian and you're, and you're not. Mm-hmm. Now, I recognize I did say that earlier with the character of Mrs. Carmody. Um, but that's the but the and I re, the reason that I said like well maybe she's not a real Christian is because she seems to in the in the name of the Bible she is disregarding major portions of the Bible, mm-hmm. um, and she's picking and choosing because she want because of what she personally wants to happen and what benefits her as far as power and so that's why I say that it's not something I say lightly, um, but certainly um, it, it there are people that that try to. Divide, and you know, uh, we talked about this with uh, with Tom Wilson. The idea of like, you know, there are denominations, and you know, there's, I mean, there's Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, you know, Nazarene, Presbyterian, like there's Evangelical, Episcopalian, like there's all these um, within the, and that's just within Protestant, you know. Um, there's all these denominations, and so it's just like, well, do all these people just disagree with one another? And in on some issues they do, but on my hope is on the basic issues of Christianity, um, you know, about the role that the Bible has to play and what it is and who Jesus was and the role that he fulfilled and that sort of thing. That is what, you know, it's, it's that kind of classic thing more unites us than divides us. And the things that divide us ultimately are not that important when it comes to like denominational issues. Yeah. Um, so I do have a, some verses to read here. Um, that talk about uh, church unity. Uh, the first is Philippians 2, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, if, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any, com- if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. And, that, and it's... it's it's worth noting that uh, the verses we're going to be reading, all of them are from Paul to various churches that are constantly uh, dividing themselves and fighting yeah. over things that are not – they're not petty. They're not unimportant, but ultimately they're not as important as the big parts of Christianity. Yeah, because many of the churches at the time were super divided. I mean imagine – we're living in a world now where there have been thousands of years of people debating uh, – uh, Christianity and, and different points of theology and coming to, you know, writing lengthy doctrines and documents and, and all that stuff. So, so there's been a lot of, of research deciding what the church should and shouldn't do. Imagine 20 years after Jesus had ascended into heaven <laughs> when uh, really the only people, the, the best authorities were just the people who would talk to him. Yeah. And so there, there was a lot of things, there were a lot of things to hammer out, <laughs> sort of. And... You know, I mean, and even there was uh, big stuff that seems to us obvious. Yeah. But stuff like 
preaching the gospel to Jew, Jews and Gentiles, yeah. you know, and the Jews being considered the chosen people, Jesus himself being Jewish, the, you know, the, the disciples being Jewish, you know, there are people that said, well, clearly, and Jesus being the one to quote unquote, save the Jews and all that sort of thing. And, and he was going to be their Messiah and all that was like, well, clearly we're we're still the chosen people we're still the people that god cares about the most and mm-hmm. then other people said like that is not what jesus said he is here for literally everyone it, like that is a huge that's a huge issue and yeah. it was a and it was a point of uh, contention within the early church um the next verse is we're gonna we're gonna that middle one josh we're gonna read that last all right so the next one will be ephesians chapter 4 verses 14 through 16 josh go get him Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, growls and builds itself up in love. Oh, that should probably be grows. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's a strange... I don't remember that. So, anyway... Um, I'll just start the sentence over. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Okay, yeah, sorry, I... Uh I, ty- I typed these out really quick. Um, well, and it's funny because both of those turned out, both of those typos turned out into other words. Yeah. So as you read it, you're like, yeah, that's, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Sorry about that. No, no worries. Um, but yeah, and so this, I, I like the idea of this because when it comes right down to it, you, you are going to, I'm sure if Josh and I were to hash things out, there are probably some very specific, like denominational, doctrinal uh, issues that we may not agree on, but when it comes right down to it, you know, Christ is what we have in common. And if we were to simply, if the two of us were to simply go to his teachings. Now, of course, there were parables, and some of the parables don't make, it's not that they don't make sense, but the, this, the message is not totally clear all the time. Mm-hmm. So there, there is room for, like, some interpretation, but you also can compare whatever your interpretation is to the other things that Jesus said. Yeah. That's one of the great things about the Bible is you can compare it to itself and look for consistency. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, there are probably things that you and I disagree about, but when it comes right down to it, we can just look at the teachings of Jesus and that can be our, our guide as far as what we're going to do together. You know, and it's only when, and it's when we are divided, when the church is divided, like constantly saying like, whether it be about baptism or the types of movies you see, for example, um, and and that sort of thing, like it could be almost anything. But when it comes right down to it, if if somebody you know like accepts Christ and accepts you know the teachings of of the Bible and defers to that, then you're pretty good, you know. And and the two of you have something. Again, you might still differ here and there, and we'll and I'll address that in a moment. But uh, but you have something huge that you know something that binds you together spiritually. You are spiritual brothers and sisters, and and you can move forward. Um, and so, uh, I do want to. I'll read this this last thing. Uh, it's Colossians three verses twelve through fourteen. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance grievance against someone. 
Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, that is hardly Mrs. Carmody from um, <laughs> from The Mist, you know, and this is, you know, uh, to me, like, if, there, if you find somebody who's constantly willing to just cast people out for the slightest, uh, you know, indiscretion, um, like, you just come back and see, like, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone forgive as the lord forgave you now incidentally this doesn't say there is nothing wrong like this this assumes that that something has been done that somebody has wronged somebody else but it says you know forgive one another and and work it out you know um as opposed to just making one division after another and just constantly splitting off and not talking to the Christians that you don't agree with about things that are not that important, um, in the long run. Um, because when that happens, that's when, like we, that's when you are not a united front and that's when you can't, because when you go out, it's okay. This is going to sound a little ham fisted. I apologize to use the, the phrase I used earlier, you know, when a character goes out into the mist alone, he dies. When characters go out together, they, you know, there there are still casualties, of course. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. Um, I was going to say who it was, but people might not have seen the film. Um, when they go out together, they are much stronger. You know, there is a higher probability that they're going to they're going to make it. Mm. You know, there's safety in numbers, you know, as opposed to just going out on your own. And, and in that same way, speaking as somebody who, like I said earlier, you know, I got some pretty awful emails calling me some pretty terrible names and I had, and I felt awful about it. I felt terrible. Um, but thankfully I had my wife, but I also had friends who could come alongside me and support me and uh and that makes all the difference whereas if i was just like uh i'm the only one that has it right then in that moment i have nobody i can turn to in a time of of crisis um and that speaks to the idea that we can if we are not joining together with others that uh we can fall into the sense of isolationism where we are unable to to accept anything that uh, that isn't something we came up with ourselves, and you may end up much like uh, Brower. I forgot the name already. Andre Brower. Andre Brower. I almost said Andrew Brower's character from from the film, who, despite all odds and despite all the people around him saying this is not a good idea, goes out into the mist. Right. And um, there's a value in having a community around you who sometimes just has to shake you and say listen to yourself or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. You are, you're not playing with fire in like the hellfire sense, but like <laughs> you're, you know, this could lead down a bad path. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I don't really know how to, uh, sum up this, uh, this discussion except to say, um, you know, I, I've talked about like the issues that matter and the issues that don't. Um, so what do I mean by that? Uh, I will refer you to a sermon that I really like that I've I posted on the website a while ago. So, but I'll post to it. I'll link to it in the in the post for this episode. Um, it's by Tim Chaddock of Reality LA, and uh, he did a series called "Differing Without Destroying," 
and this particular sermon is about the the weak and the strong and and that is how that's those are the bible's words for it and it is unfor- to a certain extent it's unfortunate that the, that those are the words because we do have a certain uh association with those words that yeah. weak is bad and strong is good right um but what he means is and i will use the example of r-rated movies okay because that's the example that i use for this podcast um there are christians out there that say i don't see r-rated movies you know or they might say i am bothered by sex in movies it, it has an effect on me i'm bothered by violence in movies it has an effect on me um now i'm somebody who violence does not necessarily bother me um in this, I mean, you know, there is disturbing violence, and I am appropriately disturbed, but it won't keep me from from watching a movie, and it, it won't, like, ruin my day or anything. And But then there are some Christians that are just very sensitive to that, and so they choose to avoid it. And sometimes that means choosing to avoid R-rated movies in general. Now, I don't think—I certainly don't agree with that point of view— but at the same time, if they're bothered by it, now the Bible calls them weak. And I'm sorry to use that term, but it just means that in this particular moment, in this particular instance, you, do, you don't have the strength to hold up against like a depi- depictions of violence. We're probably all weak when it comes to something. Yeah. All right? And so in this instance, that's you, as opposed to someone like me who's super strong. See, it sounds silly when you put it like that, but that's, that kind of thing doesn't bother me quite as much. And the weak person can look at the strong person and say, like, look at how, you know, licentious that person is. Like, he's just letting anything in. Mm-hmm. By the same token, I could look at the weak person and say, like, oh, look at them all. You know, they just wall themselves off. You know, they're just so scared of everything that it, it's something they don't know. <laughs> like, we can be equally judgmental of one another. Yeah. Um, but the Bible says that we both that we sort of need one another, you know, that the, and the church needs both of us, um, and to sort of keep each other grounded at the very least. Um, and by the way, I am of the opinion that, uh, that if I was in a situation where I, let's say I was going to a movie with somebody that is to use these terms that is weak and, and we're, potentially going to go see like a really violent movie. And he's like, you know what? That really gets to me. I don't think I can do that. Now I could be like, well, it doesn't bother me. Let's go. Yeah. But I, I, I feel like if you are somebody that is like strong, so to speak, um, that you have the responsibility to compromise. Yeah. Um, that like, if somebody's willing to be honest and say that that bothers them, then it is not your place to lead them into temptation or cause them to stumble or yeah. whatever the case may be. You know, um, that yeah. is that's your responsibility my personal opinion um but anyway so the sermon addresses that uh and so there are some of these some of these uh smaller differences um in how we should conduct ourselves you might be weak you might be strong um and this sermon speaks to how we can come together in unity and not judge one another because that's the easiest thing to do in the world is judge other christians as they're not doing it right yeah um and uh, so, anyway, all right. Hopefully, everybody enjoyed this episode. Um, I know it was a little long. Sorry about that. Uh, that's what will happen when Josh doesn't like a movie, um, and I do. Um, someday, the, it might 
turn where uh, he suggests a movie and I reluctantly say yes and I did turn out not to like it. Um, After this, we're going to record a three-hour mini-sode where we have a heated debate over every point that we like or don't like about the movie. And we're going to record it right now. I don't care that Josh has somewhere to be in the movie. I will be asleep for half of it, (laughs) but I will still debate like my life depends on it. It it kind of does. It might if I'm asleep. Who knows? Exactly, yeah. I might, you know, just like put duct tape over your uh, nose and mouth and you can't breathe. Yeah. Which is what I do if people are sleeping near me, by the way. And they they stop debating. Right. Um, that's the only way I can... It's like, I don't like what you're saying to me. This will solve the problem. Uh, okay, so just to recap, The Unemployed Mind Episode 2 is available at theunemployedmind.com. You can also find a link to it within this blog post. Um, the next episode is going to be, in the spirit of the election, is going to be about George Clooney's The Ides of March with the companion film uh, All the King's Men, the 1949 version, please. I haven't seen the 2006 version, and from what I hear, that's a win. Um, That I haven't seen it, not the film. Uh, Okay, so if you have any uh, questions or comments, you can email me, Tyler at MoreThanOneLesson.com. You can email Josh, Josh at MoreThanOneLesson.com. You can uh, join our Facebook group. I don't know the uh, official URL for that, but you can find it at MoreThanOneLesson.com. Facebook.com slash something. Don't type in something. I just don't, I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. But you can. there's a link to it on the side of uh, the morethanonelesson.com page. So you can find it through there. Uh, let's see. You can follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash more lessons. You can follow Josh. At the Josh Long. At the Josh Long. Uh, I think that is about it. So, Josh, thank you for being here. And thanks for, uh, for you know, being willing to be tired. You're so very welcome. All right. And thank you all for listening and we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.